What's up, my friends? It is Alex Hillman from Indie Hall and the Coworking Weekly Show. I'm sitting in Philadelphia International Airport, so you might hear some funny sounds in the background, but I'm about to board a plane and fly the better part of 24 hours to the other side of the world to be spending the next week with my friends at the Coworking Asia Unconference in Bali, just outside of Bali in Ubud. I'm really, really looking forward to this event. I'm super, super stoked to be there in person. And leading up to the event, I got an email from my friends at Seats to Meet, and they're putting together some blog posts and conversations leading up to the conference next week and asked me a handful of questions. It's been a crazy busy week getting ready to go on this trip. I just moved into a new house, so I thought the fastest way I could answer these questions is to jump on a microphone and share them with you. So I'm going to run through 10 quick questions in the next 20 or so minutes before I jump on this plane and then send it off to my friends and you'll get a chance to listen. So we're going to jump right in. The uh, very first question is, what does the term co-working mean to you specifically? I love this question because it opens up the door for all the different meanings behind the word co-working, and it does allow me to give you mine. So a couple of things that I want to say to describe what co-working is to me, what it means to me. Uh, first of all, I think it's worth pointing out that the word co-working is as specific as the word restaurant. I think it was Derek Neighbors from Gangplank in Arizona who used that analogy first, and I've been using it a whole lot more recently. And the fact that co-working has become such a broad term to mean so many different things. And if you think of the word restaurant, the word restaurant doesn't really describe much other than a vague transaction. You'll probably pay money and you'll probably get food, but that's about all you know. So in order to know what kind of food you're going to get and how much you're going to pay, the restaurant industry has all kinds of other language like fine dining, fast food, fast casual, all the different regional cuisines and things like that. And we don't really have that for co-working, at least not yet, but I think we're going to be heading in that direction soon. So within that context, what does co-working actually mean to me? To me, co-working means an ability to take a look at how we work together, not just work in general. I think there's a lot of work that needs to be studied, but specifically how people work together. And more specifically than that, how do people work together when they don't have to work together? Think about what a co-working environment actually provides. It's an opportunity for you to be around people who are not your mandatory co-workers. They're co-workers that you choose. Think about all the work environments that have ever existed before this, and you've basically been placed next to people that if you want this job, you have to work next to. But now that we've got people who are independent and mobile, people were independent for a long time, but now mobility means I get to choose where I do my work. And that also means I get to choose who I work alongside, even if I'm not actually sharing business directly with them. That opens the door for something very, very important in the world of business and just in the world in general, which is the ability to build trust. When you've got trust, before you're even doing business with somebody, before you're even interacting with them in any basis other than who they are as a person, you're building the foundation for something else moving forward. Trust comes first. Relationships come first. And I think that's what co-working means to me specifically. So with that out of the way, let's move on to question number two. How would you describe the development of co-working in Asia? I'm going to be honest here. I don't really know. What I do know is that it's interesting when I hear about regions around the world, every region that I visit, that I speak with, seems to think that they're behind everybody else for whatever that might mean to them. And on a timeline of when co-working has happened, where how many co-working spaces have opened and things like that, there are some parts of Asia, like there are parts of all over the world, that might be considered behind the curve. 
But the other aspect of that that I think is super important to pay attention to is acceleration, is how quickly is co-working being adopted? And I would even say more important than adopted, how quickly is it being understood? And the thing that excites me the most about Asia as a broad strokes category, there's a lot of Asia and a lot of different cultures in Asia, but the places that I've interacted with the most, I've seen something very, very interesting. And that is that a understanding of the fundamentals that make co-working unique and different than just work. The kind of experience you have in a co-working space where you're actually interacting with the people around you, where you actually maybe even have a little bit of care for the people around you. That's what I think levels up co-working from just sharing an office. I think that in some parts of Asia, that is adopted quicker. And the reason for that, in my understanding, is that in a lot of Asian cultures, their business culture is already very relationship-focused. To the point where sometimes business deals, even though the deal terms are very good, if the relationship doesn't exist, or if trust is doesn't exist, or worse, is broken or jeopardized, the business deal is off. Even if the deal terms are excellent, a business deal will be terminated because somebody doesn't trust somebody. I was speaking to uh, someone who has, runs a business that consults other businesses that are entering from the American market into Asia. And there's an entire sort of dance. There's this fluid motion and conversation that leads up to a business deal. And a lot of American business people screw this up. They go in guns a-blazing and doing business the way that they're used to doing business in North America and in Europe. And when they reach Asia, they're very important, subtle, small things that can screw up a business deal. One of them that I've heard about uh, often is the introduction of another partner, another business partner into the transaction midway. So imagine you and I were doing business. You're in Asia. I'm coming from America. And somewhere along this transaction where we've gone through the motions of getting to know each other, we've established some trust. The business terms are starting to be introduced. Things are going well. And now I bring in this business partner that either you didn't know was involved or you did know was involved, but you didn't meet prior to that point. If that person doesn't also put in the work to build the trust, that entire deal can be off. That kind of relationship and negotiation is fascinating to me. And the fact that it's prominent in a lot of Asian cultures makes the adoption of co-working and the understanding of co-working in Asian cultures especially interesting to me. So I'm going to this conference, frankly, to learn. I'm going to bring as much as I possibly can to share what I know, what I've learned in my own experiences at Indy Hall, as well as helping people all over the world. But I'm most excited about this trip because I know I have a lot to learn. And the cultures throughout Asia are so interesting to me. They're different from anywhere else in the world. And I'm really, really excited to be taking some things away with me uh, as much as I'm able to bring, if not more. I'm going to skip question number three because I actually already answered it, uh, which is how does this development relate to the rest of the world? I've already answered that. Uh, and I'm going to jump ahead to question number four, which is what do you think is the biggest challenge for the co-working movement worldwide? I actually sort of already said that too, which is I think this sort of lack of, uh, of delineation between all of the different styles of co-working. The word restaurant doesn't really describe much other than a vague transaction. And we've gotten to the point where co-working is getting to that point as well. And I want to say that I, I have sort of switched gears on this, and I, I want to sort of come clean and be honest about that. I used to be a very, very strong proponent of trying to pin down co-working to be a very specific thing, and only that very specific thing, where we had the co-working core values of community, openness, sustainability, accessibility, and collaboration. And if you did not 
operate on those core values, then you couldn't possibly be co-working. But the truth is, is when something goes mainstream, when something gets as big as co-working has, you're not in control of that narrative anymore. Nobody is. And I think it's a losing battle to try and define what co-working as a single order idea is. So the biggest challenge is to stop trying to define co-working as one specific thing and start defining our own individual versions, our own individual styles. We have a style at Indie Hall that some people love, like love, 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 love. And once they have it, they could never imagine doing anything else. And I'm so thankful that other people around the world have seen our style, said, that's the style that I want to do and have followed our way. There's all kinds of other styles out there. And if people are sharing the way that they accomplish their style, I think those styles can be adopted as well. So I think the challenge right now is the fact that a lot of people think of co-working as one thing, and that is just not congruent with the reality that we're in. Co-working is a lot of different things, a lot of different styles, a lot of different approaches, and that's going to make things really interesting, especially as things continue to take off. I don't see things slowing down, not even a little bit. Question number five, what type of people does co-working attract? I think that's very much related to the styles. I think the styles attract different kinds of people. The thing that I'm always looking at when I look at who is attracted to a co-working space and what attracts them, you know, there are people that are attracted to certain kinds of design and architecture, but I think even the design and architecture is a indicator of who the people there are. Are they people who are going to want the same things as you, be interested in the same things as you. The people that are in a co-working space is what's going to attract and frankly repel you from being a part of that co-working space as well. So co-working itself, I don't think has a specific thing that attracts people. I think it's people that attract other people. I think people forget that. And I think that's also why opening a co-working space that's empty fails so often or creates unnecessary challenge until you get people into the room. If you're pitching in a collaborative space, a vibrant community space, and I walk in the door and it's actually empty, or maybe worse, it's like two people in 5,000 square feet or something like that, you know, that feels really, really awkward. And it doesn't speak to someone who says, I want to be around people. And even if what I want is to be heads down and focused. What I want is to do that in an environment where other people are heads down and focused so I can ride the wave of the energy. So don't look at the vague concepts of collaboration, of open floor plans, of certain kinds of design and architecture. The things you should be looking for in what attracts people to different styles of co-working are the other people that are attracted to that particular style. I think that's super, super crucial to understand. We're going to keep on cruising because I've only got 10 more minutes until I get on this airplane. Question number six, what is the importance of people being a part of a bigger collective? Well, I love how I'm answering every single question before I get to it in the, in the, from the previous answer, but I think it is the most important part. I, I think if we think about co-working as more than just a place to go work, and we think about it as a laboratory for figuring out how and why people work together, even when they don't specifically have to work together, I think being a part of something bigger is a huge motivator. Even if I'm not actively contributing to it, the sense of belonging is tremendous. And I think it's another, to tie back into previous answers, I think this is another reason why co-working varies so much from region to region, even within a single culture, is because different cultures have different aspects of what belonging means to them. They have different 
needs of belonging as well. I was talking with a really good friend of mine last night who just got back from Nigeria, and we were talking about the sense of belonging and community and where that happens most in Nigeria because she was really struggling to find it. In the business and technology world, trust is so, so low that people just refuse to interact with each other, but there are some places where trust is built and community is built. And it's in church, frankly, which is very, very interesting. It's a very religious culture, but you didn't know that culture in order to understand where co-working could potentially fit into it. So to tie this back to the question is, what is the importance of being a part of a bigger collective? People in Nigeria, for instance, their sense of belonging comes from a certain place, and that's for them, their religion, from their church, their very, very tight-knit communities, and their families, they don't feel a need for a sense of belonging, and I'm painting in massively broad strokes here, uh, in the same way that perhaps someone in a major city in America does, even though, this is crazy, Lagos has like 20 million people in it compared to a major city in America, which if you leave out outliers like New York, 20 million people is a crap load of people. If you think about the sense of loneliness that people have, it's a range. People aren't lonely or not lonely. They are more or less lonely. So think about how people, how connected people are in whatever culture they are, where they connect, where they get their sense of belonging. Do they already have a sense of belonging in their life and also in their work? And then play from that. I think that's the key. If you understand what that is in a local and regional culture, you can start adapting what co-working is. You can find a style that actually makes sense rather than trying to adapt something from a place that is completely different, a culture that is completely different, and now you're running around trying to get people on board to learn and understand a thing that they just don't have a reason to understand. All right, getting fired up here. Question number seven. How do you envision the way we work in 10 years from now? Well, you know... I think that the way we work now in co-working spaces might be one of the best lenses into how everyone can work in 10 years in the future. I look at what the work we do at Indie Hall and the work that a lot of the people that I admire and respect the most, the way they're running their co-working spaces, is they those co-working spaces are solving a need today, but they're also treating them as a laboratory for trying to understand how people work together in general. But here's the truth is, even in 10 years, most people in the world will never have worked in a co-working space and never will work in a co-working space for all kinds of reasons. So if the goal is to fill the world with co-working spaces, I think we've got the wrong goal. The goal that I'm most interested in, I think, where the opportunity is to use the co-working spaces that we run as laboratories to really understand why they work. And also, in some cases, why they don't, why things go wrong understand these patterns, understand this unusual environment, and look for things that we can adopt and adapt into other kinds of businesses, because there's always going to be more other kinds of businesses than there are co-working. So let's be looking more in the future, 10 years from now, in what things from co-working spaces can be adopted by large companies. I don't think that means open floor plans. I don't think that means hot desking. What I think that means is elements of culture, how teams are built, how teams are formed, the way people converse with each other, the way people are onboarded, the way human resources is done, the way people learn, the way people support each other. All of the social infrastructure of work is so fucking broken from the last hundred years of the way we've built business and industry that co-working is like a big reset button to look at the social infrastructure that supports the human beings that work in companies today and say, it is time to make this better and what can we learn? 
co-working spaces are the laboratory for where we can learn that. And I think that's the biggest predictor and indicator of where we're going to be in 10 years, potentially even less. All right. Time is ticking down. We've got question number eight. What specific role will the co-working movement have in this according to me? I think you just got my answer on that. Uh, question number nine. If you had to pick one favorite place to work in the world, where would it be? That question sucks. And here's why. I'm so biased. Indie Hall is the best place to work in the world. Not because it's the best office in the world, because it is filled with the most amazing people who have invested in each other. They've invested in me. They've given me opportunities to invest in them. That place just warms my goddamn heart. That place is the best. So I'm biased and I invite every single one of you to come over and spend time, not at the same time that we don't have enough room. Um, my favorite place to work in the world is Indie Hall. I spent my last 10 years creating my favorite place to work in the world with other people who are also creating their favorite place in the world to work. If you if you are creating a co-working space and you don't work there and you're creating other people's favorite place to work and not your own, I want you to think twice about what you're doing. You might be more disconnected from the other people who work in your co-working space than you even realize, which means you don't know what they're thinking, you don't know what they need, you don't know how to serve them best, and you don't know how to build a connection with them as a peer. The reason Indie Hall is my favorite place in the world to work is because I'm surrounded by my peers, and that's what I want. That is what makes me happy, that's what makes me productive, that's what makes me excited to get up in the morning and go to work. I can work from anywhere. I'm sitting in this silly little phone booth in the airport. I can work from anywhere. I can be happy working from most places. I can even be productive working from a lot of places. But where I'm happiest, where I'm doing my best work, is going to be at Indy Hall. All right, question number 10. And I love this one. What is my life motto? And those of you who know that I've got a little tattoo on my right forearm, the letters are J-F-D-I and a big block stamp. And those letters stand for just effing do it. And I've already sweared on this podcast. I don't know why I'm not swearing now, but just fucking do it. The reason it's on my forearm is so when I brush my teeth in the morning at night, I remind myself that whatever that thing I'm supposed to be doing, whatever the thing that I should be doing, I know I should be doing, but I'm not for some reason, I should just fucking do it. And there's probably something that you should be doing. You know you should be doing. Maybe I've even talked about it in this recording. And I want you to look at yourself in the mirror and say, just fucking do it. Just get it done. Don't wait. Don't wait for somebody to give you permission. Just get it done. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, I got to get on an airplane. Thanks for these questions from my friends at Seats to Meet. Thanks to everyone at the CU Asia for having me. I'm super excited to get there. It's going to take me a while to get there, but it's going to be totally worth it. I'm 100% sure of it. Oh, and before I forget, there is one thing I want to invite you to, and that's the People at Work Summit. That's an event that my team and I are putting together, and it's an event that you don't have to travel 24 hours to. You can jump online and hang out with people from all over the world that work in co-working spaces, that are running co-working spaces. We're going to be talking not just about co-working and how you run a co-working space, but all of these underlying patterns for work. And we're going to explore them with people from outside of our industry. It's really easy to talk to each other about co-working. I want to learn with you about everything to do with co-working. So we're bringing in people from the world of economics, from human sexuality, from comedy, from pro wrestling. We're really going all out on this. We're also bringing in members of co-working spaces to talk about their experience and how they've built a business and how they've embedded themselves in a culture and how those two things have interplayed. This event's going to be a ton of fun and we're designing it so that anyone can make it. This is not just a bunch of live streams. We're actually building a community online for this event 
I'm super pumped. I hope you can join us. If you have questions, you can email me, alex at indiehall.org, or you can just jump on people at worksummit.com, check it out, grab your ticket, and I hope you can join us. I hope you have an awesome week. This has been a lot of fun, and oh, they're calling me for my plane. I gotta go. 